sure as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. And maybe sooner than we think. Here's the old line. This is going to be a tough play. Welcome to another episode of Locked On Cubs, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. I am your host, John Sears, and on today's episode, we have Michael Ernst from Cubs Den. I mistakenly say he is from Cubs Insider. <laughs> Later on in this podcast, and I apologize, he writes for Cubs Den. Michael is a lead writer there, um, covering mainly a lot of the prospects. So he's been busy the last couple days, but up until this point, has been lacking some content so he was excited to jump on the podcast talk to us about the cubs five draft picks for those that uh were living under a rock the cubs did go out and draft five players this past week their top pick shortstop ed howard from mount carmel high school a chicago product was on the jackie robinson west team uh very impressive kid a really good shortstop and uh someone from chicago that the cubs were lucky to scoop at 16 so we talk about ed howard we talked about a couple of the other picks guys like jordan Nuagu, who um, is awesome and followed me on Twitter earlier this weekend, which was very cool. Shout out to Jordan, who's a power hitter from Michigan. And then a couple bat or a couple pitchers for uh, the Cubs to round off the rest of their draft. We'll talk about that and more with Michael Ernst, uh, as well as kind of touch on what the farm system looks like. And we also talk a little bit about the players. Uh, they hadn't officially yet at the time when we talked, but we're on the verge of rejecting the offer from the owners. So, of course, there is news out on that now. I am posting this Saturday. Uh, there were some issues with the podcast. I had to go through and edit a few things with the Zoom call. But um, while that was all happening, the players have rejected the owner's offer uh, officially and have come back to them and said now to tell us the terms and dates and when to report for the season. So they've basically pushed the ball into the court of the owner, so they're going to hear what their offer is on the season and go from there. So we'll have an update on that earlier or later next week once we have a better idea of what the details will look like. But Monday's episode will be dedicated specifically to Long Gone Summer. I'm actually hosting a live panel shortly after the show, which I'm really excited about um, with myself and a few other the lockdown hosts. So we'll be recapping right after Long Gone Summer prepares, or premieres tomorrow, Sunday on ESPN. We'll be talking about that and more. So today's episode is brought to you in part by BuiltBar.com. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. And then, of course, we are partnered with Cubs Insider, uh, if you want to check out CubsInsider.com, check out some of the latest podcasts from the Cubs-related pod. There's the Rant, the daily live show with Evan Altman, John Ferlise, and usually Danny Rocket. Um, and of course, they've been on top of all the Cubs news post-draft, as well as what's been going on with the players and owners. So head to CubsInsider.com, official partner of Lockdown Cubs. And when you get... You can get Lockdown Cubs on... 
whatever podcast app you use, whether that's Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn app, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you're listening to your podcast, make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review. And then make sure you follow us on Twitter at LockedOnCubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears, and you can follow Michael Ernst at MJ underscore Ernst, and uh, you can follow all his writing at CubsDen on Twitter. So with that, let's kick it over to an interview with Michael Ernst. What's going on, Lockdown fans? I am Sean Sears. I'm the host of Lockdown Cubs, and I'm talking to you today about Built Bar. Um, they are actually one of the most tasty protein bars I've ever had in my life. Um, I am actually a former track runner, and I'm actually pretty familiar with a lot of different protein bars, and I can honestly say I've never had a protein bar that tastes this good. I'm actually eating one right now for breakfast. Um, it is, so you can hear the wrapper here, Mint Brownie Delight. It's really good. It kind of tastes like a Thin Mint. Um, they're awesome, though. Best tasting protein bars I've ever had, but not only that, uh, they are one of the most healthy bars ever. They've got 20 grams of protein, which is pretty standard for most protein bars, but what's crazy is it's only 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, sugar, 3 grams of net carbs, uh, 15 grams of protein, and particularly this mint brownie bar that I'm eating right now. It's awesome. Um, I used to have it with like power bars, like chunky bits and, you know, like grains is what it feels like sometimes and having to drink that down to get that aftertaste out of your mouth. That doesn't happen with these. These are delicious. The only issue I have with them is I'm trying not to eat them all because I don't want to ingest 60 grams of protein from eating three or four of these bars. But they are awesome. Perfect for workouts, perfect for post pre-workout type stuff. Check them out right now. If you head to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON and save yourself $10 off your first order. Once again, that's LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Save yourself $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Some of the best tasting bars on the market. Compare them to Cliff Bars. I'll tell you right now, they are healthy, healthier, better tasting, and ultimately, I just think a better bar. So check it out, BuiltBar.com. All right, Cubs fans, joining me on the line is Michael Ernst. You can follow him on Twitter at MJ underscore Ernst. He is a lead writer for Cubs Den and focuses kind of heavily on the prospect side for the Cubs. We've had Michael on the show before, but we're uh, happy to have him back now. What's going on, Michael? How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, It was nice to have some baseball stuff to actually talk about and that it's prospect related was kind of a nice uh, (laughs) energy boost for me. I haven't been doing... uh, really any writing over the previous month. So it was nice to kind of get back into it this week and do draft previews and draft recap stuff. Definitely. I'm sure it made it feel like it was almost normal. Uh, Obviously like in your case, especially like with what's going on with the minor leagues, like I'm sure there's been, I mean, outside of like talking about Nico Horner, right? Like there hasn't been much to talk about beyond that, I guess. Yeah. Well, and especially with all of the talk of there not being a minor league season this year, uh, that's, my main focus during the year is doing the daily minors recaps and uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I would generally be spending two to three hours every day watching video and doing recaps for all the games and writing prospect reports. And yeah, like I said, I I pretty much went a month without doing any writing at all. So it's, (laughs) it's very strange in that regard. Yeah, that is super weird, especially because, I mean, this is the time of year where you would be writing a ton with everything going on with prospects and drafts, and usually there's more than five rounds of a draft, so. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, my, my draft prep uh, did not take very long this year. Yeah, I can early, imagine. anyway. Yeah. Well, before we get into the draft a little bit, I wanted to touch on, obviously, there's there's labor discussions going on. The uh, I know, I think the MLB just offered out 
another proposal that has apparently an expiration date of Sunday, um, which I don't think it's going to take very long for them to reject this plan. Um, but once again, it just feels like another non-starter from both sides. You know, I think this most recent offer is 72 games expire Sunday. And I believe the offer is like the equivalent of 35% of their actual salary for the year, but somewhere like above I think it was like 80 to 85%, assuming the postseason gets played. Um, what, what he, what's your take on this negotiation process between the players and the and baseball right now? It's just very disheartening and very frustrating. I, I understand that the negotiations in Major League Baseball are going to be more difficult than they are in the other sports. Um, just simply because the baseball union is the strongest of all of the players unions in the, in the four uh, major sports. And so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely seeing the MLB players union taking a hard, a a really hard stance, which I'm, I'm in favor of. um, But the, the reason I just, uh, the, the negotiations leave such a sour taste in my mouth is just, the, the the way that the negotiations have um, uh, have been leaked out into the press and it just it feels like they're negotiating through the press and the, the, the owners are really trying to cry poor here and uh, I do have some sympathy for them I mean they are all going to lose money this year uh, and every game that they play is probably a money losing proposition so I don't I don't blame them for trying to negotiate a fair scenario for them. But at the same time, I I have a real hard time with um, how all of these proposals, you know, you're seeing them get leaked out through, you know, the two or three major um, Mm -hmm. uh, news outlets to, you know, specific reporters and they're all framed in a certain way. And it's just, it's, it's just ugly. And I am very much turned off by it. And, there are certain days where I just, I honestly don't even care if baseball comes back this year sort of thing, which is um, not uh, um, the type of attitude you want to foster out of um, somebody who, you know, uh, obviously <laughs> likes baseball quite a bit, um, considering that I, I spend so much time watching and writing about it. Right. And that's, and that's really the frustrating part about this is it just feels like the owners, um, I mean, like, like you said, like, obviously they're going to lose money and, you know, you understand that, but you you would think they, they could afford that or they would have planned ahead for this. And it just seems like, I mean, obviously like it's, it's hard to plan for a pandemic, uh, but, but obviously like, right. Yeah. I mean, there should be some type of reserves, you know, but what what were you saying? There's, I, I can definitely understand, um, that, cash flow issues are going to be an issue. I mean, they're, they're none of the owners necessarily, well, at least in the, in the um, actual MLB business itself, you know, obviously almost all of these owners have businesses outside of the uh, team, but, you know, nobody plans to have the cash flow necessary to be able to pay out of pocket for all, you know, for an entire season with, with, so such limited revenue going to be coming back in. But at the same time, these are all multi, well, at least 1 billion and um, in <laughs> a lot of cases, multi-billion dollar franchises. There's um, no issue or um, 
really any long-term concern about um, any of these owners being able to uh, take out loans to cover the cash flow that they need and they'd be able to uh, repay it you know very very quickly um, right over the next year or two as the the revenues kick back in exactly so it's yeah that's that's the frustrating point it and the, it, it it is sad and especially when you like hear that it's like a difference of like nine to 11 million per team that these owners are fighting about it's like are you serious like a, <laughs> like right. a pretty good like you well know, middle infielder cost of that i don't know whatever <laughs> Yeah, and then you know the 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 fighting about the minor league salaries, and um, mm. you know, and then cutting the draft down to five rounds, all you know, all those cost saving moves, and the, right. the twenty thousand dollar cap on the undrafted free, free agents this year. Exactly, so. and like you, you and like uh, even the Cubs were like, I know uh, those. Uh, I think it was Katzeritz or however you say Dan's last name. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> they're new, they're the new leader of their draft. Uh, but I know he was even saying like after the draft, like there's guys we're going to take a look at, but we don't know if we have the, the money to do that right now. We don't know if we can even spend that money. And it's like, that's insane. <laughs> you know, like obviously things are going on, but like, you know, that's insane to think that they won't even look at other prospects realistically because they don't have the allocated funds for it. It's like, well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a slippery slope. Um, and you feel for these minor leaguers, but at least for the guys that were lucky enough to get drafted, obviously this, this Cubs draft, I mean, even just out of five picks, like there's a lot of guys in here that I, I'm excited about. And obviously I think this is the first time I've like tuned in for a draft partially because like usually it's happening while baseball's going on. Like there's games happening usually as the draft happens. Um, but uh, it was weird to tune down and like, sit down and like watch all these draft picks go through. And then it was even weirder to see Matt Vaskersian announce the rest of the draft after uh, Rob Manford, which was weird. Uh, but obviously, the, the Cubs came with some good players. Uh, the biggest, Ed Howard, obviously their first pick, 16th overall, a guy from Chicago. And a guy, I, I honestly, like it, he was probably the few prospects I knew coming into this just because he was from Chicago. But I, I really didn't expect him to come to the Cubs. So when they drafted him, I was... I was excited. Um, what What is your takeaway from Ed Howard so far? I, I like the pick. And the, the, the more I've watched him since the draft and, and dug in even deeper on the video available about him and, and the more I read about him as well, uh, the more excited I've gotten. Um, that's not always the case with draft prospects. Um, you know, obviously sometimes – you know, guys get taken who I'm not familiar with at all. And I, I, I'll, I'll do some digging. And um, like Nico Horner was a example of that, where I had researched about 60 different players that had been <laughs> considered first round potential candidates. And, um, you know, like for Baseball America, I think they had him rated like 61st or something like that. And so I had stopped right before getting to Nico Horner. So I hadn't watched him and, you know, the draft came, came around and his name came up and everybody was like, Oh, this is a bad pick. And I was just like, I have no idea if this is a bad pick. I've never, never watched him play. And uh, within about 20 minutes of watching footage on him, I was like, uh, I like this kid better than like probably 40 of the 60 players that I looked at <laughs> and uh, I have no issue with taking him at 22 or whatever it was that uh, um, yeah I, I by, the, by a, a day after that draft I was like ah, he's a top 20 player in this draft to me and um, 
So I, you know, I got pretty excited after that, but there's other ones where they have made picks and I watch them and I just go, I'm not real sure about this one. But in the case of Howard, uh, he was a guy that uh, I had written up for my draft preview. I, I did think he was on the radar. I actually thought there was probably a better chance that uh, he ended up going a little before the Cubs pick. Um, he had been linked quite a bit to the White Sox, actually, uh, who picked at, at 11. And uh, the, the guy that uh, the White Sox actually ended up picking was a guy that um, a, a lot of mock drafts and stuff had the Cubs taking. So ended up yeah. being a little bit uh, of a flip-flop in that regard. But yeah, uh, he was definitely a guy who I liked all the tools that I saw. Uh, he's he's somebody who really doesn't have any holes in his game. Really hard worker by all accounts. Great kid. And yeah, just he's the the top shortstop in the draft. Uh, not just from the prep ranks, but uh, even at the collegiate level as well. Um, one of the the handful of uh, like no doubt. MLB caliber defensive shortstops in the draft. And on top of that, he probably has the highest ceiling with his bat among the, uh, you know, the, the, the best defenders at, at that position. So yeah, he was definitely a no doubt first rounder, really a, a, a no doubt mid, mid first rounder, assuming he didn't have any uh, signability concerns and we never heard anything about that heading into the draft. So it it was definitely a guy I had on the radar and I, I wrote up a nice little report on him. I would have been, I was perfectly happy with him being the pick. And then as soon as they did make the selection, I went back and rewatched everything that I had previously done and just kept digging on more and more stuff. And the more I watched, uh, uh, I think pre-draft, I had kind of written up that I kind of figured he'd be probably max out as like a 15 home run, maybe 15 to 20 home run guy at his peak. Mm -hmm. But the more I watch, I, I, I think there's a chance he might actually even end up uh, capable of more than that, or at least occasional 20 plus homer seasons. Um, he's, he's got a pretty quick bat to the ball. There's, there's some length in his swing in, in his in his finish to his swing that I, I wouldn't mind them cleaning up but he's pretty direct to the ball so he should make plenty of contact and most of the footage of him that's available is actually from last year when he was about 15 pounds lighter he's added a lot more strength since then but being from Chicago uh, his high school season was canceled before it began so we don't we don't really have any recent game action from him you know a lot of the college guys and then a lot of the southern and western high school uh, players at least had a handful of games and sometimes a little more more uh, under their belt this spring before the seasons got canceled but in the case of Howard uh, there was none and so you're you're you're, you're kind of doing projection based off, off of the video that was available last year and then some snippets of like workouts that he's done this spring and he is noticeably bigger. And I, I do think the, the, the power is going to end up being a little more real than um, what I, maybe I initially had, had thought. So that's, that's, that's a positive. And, and 
and not to say that he's going to be an elite power hitter. He's, we're not talking about crazy bat speed like Javier Baez or anything like that. It's, um, you know, uh, it, I actually described him in some ways where it's like, I think he's going to be capable of fulfilling all of the things that we hope Nico Horner does, except being a above average defender rather than a below average defender at shortstop. So, you know, there, there is a little bit of uh, more upside to him than there is with Nico where, um, you know, I I think really the only thing Nico has on him is maybe a little bit better hit tool. Um, Definitely a little more refined at this point. Definitely. Certainly as a, as an older player, but um, you know, the, the ceiling on the hit tool for Nico is probably a little higher. I'd say Nico's hit tool is probably a 60, maybe 65 potential, whereas Howard's more 55, 60 sort of thing. So, but other than that, um, similar running speeds and a little more power from, from Howard. And then, yeah, the, the defense is the real separator. I mean, we kind of saw last year at the end of the year, Nico, he's, he's, he can get you by at shortstop not ideal, doesn't really have the arm strength that you like to see uh, when he has to go to his right and get a a ball in the hole. Um, Doesn't have the elite athleticism around uh, the second base bag to to turn all of the double plays, but, you know, a guy that can can get get done all the routine plays, but uh, Howard's going to be able to make more of the spectacular plays that you, you like to see from a shortstop and stuff. Definitely. He's a guy that, uh, like you were talking about too, like if he had played his, you know, senior season at Mount Carmel, it sounded like, like you said, he put on 15, maybe almost 20 pounds of extra weight. He was probably going to smash some prep school, college or Catholic baseball <laughs> Celeste, or this, this spring and summer. Like he was going to probably be a surefire top 10 pick. So the Cubs realistically, like if, if, had he kind of kept going on the trajectory, probably would have he probably would have priced himself out of the Cubs draft pick range, honestly. So I think they're lucky to get a guy like this with such a high ceiling. Yeah. I think, I think there's a, a very good chance that, uh, yeah, he could have ended up in, you know, the top 10, top 12 picks of the draft, uh, had he been able to showcase himself this year. And so, you know, hopefully it's to the Cubs advantage that, uh, you know, this unfortunate scenario has played out and they were able to get, you know, the best, the best shortstop in the draft at 16. That's not something that generally happens in the major league draft. There's usually, you know, at least one shortstop that goes in the top 10. Definitely. Well, I'm, I'm very excited for the pick. I I don't think I've been this excited about a a prospect in a while. So it's cool to have a guy like this in the system. Um, Looking through the rest of this draft, obviously Burl Caraway from uh, Dallas Baptiste, obviously uh, an alumni with a, Ben Zobris, that was a good pick here in the second round. Probably the best reliever in the draft. You look at the third round, outfielder Jordan Nuagu from uh, Michigan. A ton of pop and was actually a leadoff hitter for Michigan. That was something I didn't know until after the draft. And then Luke Little and Kwan, or Kwan Moreno round out those last couple picks. Luke Little obviously went viral because he tossed a ball like 105 miles an hour. I know I saw you retweet that. What did you think of Little and his gas? He's got plenty of speed. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, he's he's your typical big, tall, lefty fireballer that's pretty raw. Um, you know, the fastball's his main his main focus. 
Massachusetts. And, you know, there's, I haven't really actually been able to find uh, much decent video of his slider. Um, from what I've read and the little bit I've seen, it, it seems like a pretty average pitch. So there's definitely going to need to be refinement with his secondaries. But you're, you're talking about a, a lefty that can hit triple digits. And so, you know, there, there's only a handful of those type of players on the planet. And so I never have an issue with rolling the dice on somebody like that and hoping that you can uh, figure out a breaking ball for him. And then in, in Jones's case, we also have to uh, get his uh, delivery and control uh, up to speed as well. He, he is a guy that, that walked a few uh, walked way too many guys in previous seasons. Now, unlike Howard, who added weight heading into this year, but didn't get a chance to showcase it, uh, Little is a guy who actually dropped 30 pounds. This is a six foot eight guy and um, was kind of seen as, uh, you know, somebody who hadn't quite. Hadn't quite been in the, the greatest of shape in previous years, but uh, just really dedicated himself this year and uh, did get into a few games early in the year. He's, uh, uh, and uh, what I want to say, you know, he only threw like nine innings or whatever, but in those nine innings, he only, he only walked like three guys as opposed to uh, last year when he was basically walking one guy per inning. So small sample size, but you know, you just kind of hope with, the improved athleticism um, and the, the work that he's been doing that, you know, the, the, the light was starting to come on and there's maybe not quite as much uh, development that's needed um, in comparison to the video that you would have had of him last year. Yeah. Out of yeah, these, but uh... I mean, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I, I, I wouldn't expect, 105 in an actual game uh, yeah it's obviously a bullpen session under ideal conditions uh you know no wear and tear necessarily on his arm sort of thing so uh, i i i want to say the most of the reports that i saw he he kind of worked in the 96 to 99 range during games um, you know and uh you know since the season start stopped you know like i said he's he's, he's been uh doing uh rap soto sessions and that sort of thing so it's possible he has added a little velocity since the season ended but you know uh, you don't really see 105 with any kind of regularity uh, you know I, I, any anything that he hits over 100 is is gravy on obviously right <laughs> no I, I i saw the video too and immediately thought like yeah i wonder what the game speed is though and so when i saw your tweet and you said he usually sits right. in the mid to high 90s like that seems more normal <laughs> especially like i mean like you said like right. lefties that can well and we, we we sorry go ahead i was just gonna say we you know we see that with braylon marquez in the minor leagues right now where you know it's a little different he's a starter for the cubs but you know, he's generally 94 to 97, but he can dial it up to 100, 101, 102 even on occasion, uh, you know, uh, you know, once or twice per inning if he needs it. And, uh, or, or at least in the early innings, you know, you get into the sixth or seventh, I'm not sure how many times he'd, he'd necessarily be able to hit triple digits. But in the case of Little, you know, you, you just kind of hope, uh, 
you know, with he's probably a reliever, you know, he's going to probably end up being a two pitch reliever. And Mm -hmm. in that scenario, you know, you'd like to think that he could go max effort more often and, you know, hopefully work, you know, hopefully sit in the upper nineties and, you know, then if he, if he can top out higher than that, you know, obviously that's, that's great. You know, the big thing with him is, and, and really any six foot eight guy, they, they always take a little longer to figure out their mechanics and it's mm-hmm. not unusual for them to have poor command poor control. And you just, you, you hope that the, the positive signs he showed this, this spring uh, are a sign of things to come and that he, he is rounding into shape in that regard. Definitely. Well, we're talking with Michael Ernst from Cubs Den. He's one of their lead writers and uh, kind of like the, the main head guy in the prospects for the Cubs Den. And I said Cubs Insider. Geez, <laughs> Michael writes for Cubs Den. If I said Cubs Insider, I'm <laughs> That's sorry. That's okay. Uh, it's obviously we're all friends. Uh, Cubs Insider sponsors yes. the podcast. So I just had that drilled in my brain. But absolutely, Michael writes for Everybody Cubs Everybody does Den. great work. I, you know, <laughs> you guys, Bleacher Nation, all of it. It's it's all good. I, I, I support all of you guys. You guys all do great. Obviously, yeah, same here too. But um, on the second day draft, uh, or second day draft guys, um, who was the guy I think that stood out the most to you? Who was the guy you were the most excited about out of those four picks from day two? Well, I, I think the the guy that has the highest floor and is the highest probability of the players is is their second rounder, Burl Callaway. Cow, Caraway, sorry, uh, kind of uh, in the opposite in stature from Little. He's a six-foot left-hander, so on the smaller side for a pitcher, but also has a huge arm. You know, another lefty reliever, uh, again, works mid to upper 90s, uh, kind of tops out in the 99 range, and, you know, the, the fastball is legit. It's a plus pitch, and but what really makes him exciting is he matches that plus fastball with a plus, with a plus curveball. It's mm-hmm. a really nasty pitch, uh, probably one of the top five uh, curveballs in the collegiate ranks. A guy that you know again has some control issues. Again, you know some positive signs early on this year, but again, you know small sample size, no no conclusions there. So. You know, the control is probably going to be the determining factor on um, you know, just what type of role he ends up inhabiting, whether it's, you know, if he ends up being more of a, just a lefty reliever um, to, to take out, uh, you know, to, to deploy in platoon situations, or if he does manage to hone in his, his command, uh, both of his pitches play against right-handed batters. So he, he's a potential closer. And it's, you know, it's just a, it's a really exciting two pitch mix. Uh, he does throw a change up as well, but the fastball curve is going to be his bread and butter. And, you know, just uh, uh, like you said, he's the top reliever in the class. Uh, had he been, you know, had he been a starter, he would have been, you know, a no doubt first rounder, but as the, as the, the top uh, reliever, um, getting him in the middle of the second round, you know, especially a lefty with that with that kind of stuff is that, that's an exciting pick, uh, in my opinion. And the, mm-hmm. the 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 type of pitcher the Cubs have not necessarily uh, gone after traditionally, 
uh, under uh, the, the Epstein regime. Uh, now that is something that had been uh, changing the previous couple of seasons. Uh, obviously they, they chose Ryan Jensen in the first round last year, who uh, is a high velocity, shorter right-hander in, in this case, kind of similar velocity. Uh, but again, a guy that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to try to develop as a starter. And we, we've been seeing them add higher velocity guys uh, the last couple of years, but it seems like they've, they put even more of a focus on that um, with uh, Kantrovich uh, taking over this year. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, you take Caraway again, upper nineties, little potentially even more than that. And then their fifth rounder is the other guy that I think bears mentioning uh, mm -hmm. uh, Moreno, who is a, a prep righty this time, but a starter and just considered one of the, the, the big sleepers in the draft, really. Uh, he's a six foot two uh, righty who hasn't really filled out his frame yet, but he's already sitting, or uh, he, he kind of sits around 90, 91, and, but topping out at 93, 94 last fall. And the expectation is that there's probably another another notch as he uh, probably can add 20, 30 pounds uh, over the next, uh, you know, five years or so. Mm -hmm. And so that, that would be an exciting profile because he's also a guy that uh, is somebody that can generate a lot of spin rate on his breaking ball and has also shown some, some good feel for a changeup. He's not a guy that I've seen a ton of, so I'm kind of relying on others' opinions a little bit with him, but he's, he's definitely a guy that uh, has been identified by a couple of different uh, um, publications as somebody that, you know, you really want to keep an eye on. I don't think the Cubs have really taken a, a prep pitcher in that, that range um, to be quite this excited about since probably since they took Dylan Cease. Um, yeah. Cease is probably a, a little higher on the spectrum just because he was a, a, a first round caliber guy that only slipped as far as he did because he was injured as a uh, prior to the draft. So the Cubs kind of got a break on him, but uh, Moreno's definitely one of the uh, more impressive uh, projectable uh, pitchers that they've taken in recent years. So I'm excited about him. He's the guy that out of all four, all five of the picks um, was, was the guy I just didn't know much about. So like looking into him a little bit before, obviously talking to you, um, he seemed like a guy that I was, I mean, excited to see, like you said, prep, prep school pitchers don't get taken this late, especially by the Cubs. So obviously they saw something they liked in this guy, but I'm, uh, I'm excited to see what some of these guys develop into. Um, even now, like looking at this farm system, like we were talking about the top of the show, like even just getting like an Ed Howard into the system is cool, but getting an influx of these, like these three arms plus Jordan Nwagu, who's, who's going to be a power bat, something the system needs. Now you're looking at this system with guys like Nico Horner and, and Brennan Davis entrenched into it with like Braylon Marquez, um, Miguel Amaya. You could even throw like Cole Roeder in those conversations. Obviously, Braylon Marquez, like there's, there's a lot of talented guys in the system now, but has the system necessarily moved up in the minds of, I guess, like other people out there? Is the system still bottom five group in baseball or are they kind of pushing towards middle of the pack? They're definitely pushing towards the middle of the pack. Uh, the, the thing that kind of separates them still from 
the 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 top systems in baseball is some of their higher end guys are still in the lower levels of the system. You know, somebody like Brennan Davis only has like 50 games of a ball experience. Uh, you know, Cole Franklin, a couple, a, a lot of their uh, starting pitchers, Ryan Jensen, another one where, you know, none of these guys have gotten out of a ball. And, you know, even somebody like Miguel Amaya, who uh, had a, a, a relatively successful season in high A last year. He's still only 20 years old. And yeah, he would have been playing in double A this year. But again, you know, just they don't really have a lot of guys with a, an upper level track record yet where, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're really going to push into, you know, top 100 lists and that sort of thing. So it's getting there. They're definitely injecting more high-end athletes and more pitchers with high-end velocity. Um, they're putting a lot more focus on that. The last uh, two, now three drafts, uh, I, I, I've been much more impressed these last three years than I was in probably the previous five years combined sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, all, all five of the guys that they took this year have plus skills. Um, you know, sometimes it's only one plus or whatever, but there's, there's projectability with all of them. Um, something that, that, that the Cubs really just didn't do much of, um, you know, going back four or five years, uh, you know, you look at those drafts uh, of, you know, in 40 rounds, they might take, they might've taken three or four guys that kind of fit that profile per year. Maybe and in this year, yeah. <laughs> you know, five rounds, they took five guys like that. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're getting more, they're taking more bites at the apple as far as upside and, and potential impact guys, which is good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm much more pleased about that. So uh, yeah, I'm excited. I, I am too. I think there's plenty of guys to look at and, and get excited about. Obviously Nico Horner. Well, my last question here for you, obviously he came up out of need last year, still was pretty impressive in, in 20 games. It was kind of more so, I think Jordan Bastian described it as like a 10 game split really where his first 10 games, he was really hot from that aggressive approach. And then in the second portion of those 20 games, he kind of cooled off a bit as pitcher started to realize he was getting pretty aggressive coming into the season. Now it was kind of a question. He was Mm going to make this roster. Now he's probably going to be at least on this roster. His role though. I mean, he was still even just 20 games, like was one of the better contact hitters in the Cubs lineup. He's something the Cubs could really use. Do you think Horner really has a chance of, of making an impact this year? Is he a guy that, the Cubs decide to try and work in as they can, but kind of focus more so on maybe a fall ball league that comes out once the season's over. No, I think he's going to be on the roster and I think he's going to be, I wouldn't necessarily say an everyday starter, but I think he's going to be a semi-regular. I would look to his role being similar to what we saw from Uh, Javi Baez his first uh, year or two where um, you know he probably starts three to four games per week um, and he might bounce around a little bit yeah you know most of his starts will be at second base but he'll fill in for Javi at shortstop Uh, he'll probably see a little bit of time out in center field Um, but beyond those three or four starts he's going to get pinch hitting opportunities and he's going to get defensive replacement opportunities as well. I mean, he's not the type of 
he's not an impact defender, but if you're looking at Jason Kipnis being <laughs> your platoon starter at second base, uh, a lot of times you're going to want to get him out of the game in the sixth inning sort of thing. Um, you know, some, yeah. uh, the first time somebody brings in a lefty reliever to face him, you pinch it and you go Horner, Horner finishes out the game and you get improved defense, improved contact ability when you have him in there. So, uh, you know, he might only start, you know, like I said, 50, maybe 60% of the games, but he's going to play in 90% or more of them. And that's kind of what we saw from, from Javi his, his first little bit. And that's, that's, that's kind of the role I, I envision for, for Nico. And yeah, I mean, there's going to be stretches where he frustrates fans because he expands the zone and <laughs> makes a lot of soft contact. There's, there's going to be stretches where he looks like Albert Amore. Uh, that's, yes. that's going to happen. But um, I think he has, I, I'm not sure he has better plate discipline than Amora. What I think separates him from Almora is he has the ability to still get the barrel of the ball or get the barrel on the ball when he expands. I think what you see with Elmora is when he expands out of the zone, he's hitting a lot of things off the end of the bat. He's hitting a lot of weak grounders. Um, Javi is a guy that, that when he expands, he hits the ball hard still. Um, Nico's going to fall in between those two where – you know, Javi can reach out a foot into the left-handed batter's box and still hit the ball out of the ballpark. Nico can reach out there and, and poke, a, poke a ball into right field. So I, I think his batting average is going to be a little higher than Almora. I think he's going to make, you know, a little bit more of an impact um, with the bat than Almora. But, you know, you get that type of player who, you know, plays second base, shortstop, center field, you'll, you'll take that. I, um, Nico is not a guy that, in my opinion, is going to hit in the middle of your lineup or anything, but you know, you put him sixth or seventh when he's hot, you can put him first or second sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going to make contact uh, just, he's, he's rarely going to give away at bats. And the, the reason why I think he's ready for the major leagues and I don't concern myself really with the times where he gets a little over aggressive is he adapts well within games. You rarely see him make the same mistake twice. You know, if he goes up to the plate the first time and a pitcher busts him inside the next time up, he's ready for that pitch. And sure, you might get him to expand elsewhere, but it's not the sort of thing where you saw with Corey Patterson or something like that, where you just throw him a high fastball every time and it's no big deal. You know, Ian Happ was kind of the same thing. Just, you know, well, all you got to do is expand up in the zone and he struggles to make contact. Nico's not that way. He's, you got to beat him different ways. And that, and that's why I think that adjustment period where you said, Oh, you know, the first 10 games, he was good. Next 10 games, he was bad. I don't necessarily think that that trend would have continued where he would have continued to struggle. I think he would have rebounded and okay, I'm going to make, make some adjustments, have some success. Pitchers are going to then, you know, come back and adjust again. And, you know, there might be a little struggles. I think there would be more back and forth with Nico than just somebody who would get into a funk and, uh, you know, really struggle enough where you'd have to send him back to AAA. I I think he can adjust at the major league level. 
Yeah, that's that's how I felt too, and that's uh, that seems to be. I mean, if anything, I mean, like him rising through the system as quickly as he did, I think shows at the very least he's he's very quick to adapt, and he's a very fast learner. And obviously, the hit tool itself speaks for itself. I know he he talks a lot about how confident he is in his swing, and he's got great bat to ball skills. Obviously, everyone talks about that, but even just his approach, like you said, he doesn't get beat twice on the same pitch. He's gonna adjust and and find a way to put that in play. And I that, I love that aspect. That's something the Cubs just don't have in their lineup. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe I mean, Anthony he fits Rizzo. What the Cubs need, <laughs> right? Yeah, he he fits what the Cubs have been missing. He plays positions that they need, and he makes contact, which are you know two things that the the Cubs just don't have a lot of depth at right now. And so that's why, to me, even in back in April, uh, back in March, I should say, um, to me, he was you know no doubt just put him on the 26 man roster and he'd be able to help you right. now with what they're looking at with, you know, a 28 or a 30 man roster uh, to me, he's no doubt you, you absolutely put him on the team. Just you know, if only for the fact that he's your backup shortstop. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh... And you know, it's, it, it's important to keep in mind too, fastest guy from his draft class to make it to the major leagues so that That's shows you the <laughs> adaptability that he has, especially when you consider the fact that he's missed more games than he's played. He's mm-hmm. been hurt both seasons in, in, in his minor league career, and he still flew through the system. Uh, I mean, I said it back when he was drafted. I honestly think you could have taken Nico Horner directly out of college, put him into the major leagues, and he wouldn't have fallen on his face. Now, obviously, that wouldn't have been ideal for his development. They did <laughs> yeah. tinker with his swing and make some improvements where he's, he's capable of pulling the ball a little bit more now and, and accessing his power more. Um, so, you know, it, that, that wouldn't have been what you wanted to do. But he was a guy that, again, great work ethic, great ability to adapt. I, I just – He's not somebody that I worry is going to get overwhelmed at the major league level. And even if he does struggle, it's not the sort of thing where I worry that he would struggle so much and he would get in his own head. And even if you moved him back to AAA, he would you know, kind of carry those struggles with him. I, I, to me, I think he's just a guy that's capable of rolling with the punches and you know, sort of like Javi, uh, very similar to Javi in that regard, where you know, Javi didn't, didn't worry about that first year where he was striking out 50% of the time and looked awful. He went right back down, bounced right back. No problems. I don't worry about the psyche of Javi and I don't worry about the psyche of Warner. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. Assuming we get a season this year. Um, but Michael, I, uh, I appreciate taking the time as always. You can follow Michael on Twitter at MJ uh, underscore Ernst. And you can see his writing at Cubs Den. Uh, Cubs dead. Make sure everyone's clear on that. Um, Michael, I appreciate taking the time, man. You have a good rest of your day. <laughs> you too. Thanks, Sean. All right, that will do it here for today's episode of Lockdown Cubs. We will be having an episode coming out early Monday morning, recapping the live show we do for Long Gone Summer, the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire documentary coming out Sunday on ESPN. We'll be having a live show. You can listen to that on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, any of the Lockdown Live state or the social media pages. You should be able to find the link. Listen to us talk about that shortly after, but I will be releasing the audio 
on Monday on the podcast. So check that out there too as well. And then if you have not yet, make sure you subscribe to Lockdown Cubs and whatever podcast app you use, Google, Apple, Spotify, Himalaya, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can listen to Lockdown Cubs. And then make sure you check out the latest episode of Lockdown MLB with Paul Francis Sullivan. Right after this episode, you can tell your smart device to play Lockdown MLB for the latest episode with Paul Francis Sullivan. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears. Make sure you give Michael a follow on Twitter at MJ underscore Ernst. Thanks for tuning in to your guys' Daily Cubs podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. And as always, go Cubs.